0: Listening to episode sixty five of the Daily Growth
1: Discipleship Podcast. I'm Chris Lambert, and I'm Josh Havens, and we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that He would help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. Today, we're talking with Erwin Entz Jr.
0: Irwin serves as a pastor at Grace DC Presbyterian Church and director of the Grace DC Institute for Cross-Cultural Mission, a church-based training and research entity dedicated to equipping current and future Christian leaders for cross-cultural ministry. He's a graduate of City College of New York Reformed Theological Seminary and holds a D.Min. from Covenant Theological Seminary. In 2018, Ince was unanimously elected as the 46th Presbyterian Church in America General Assembly moderator, the first African American to hold the position. In a world torn apart by racial and ideological differences, Irwin's latest book, The Beautiful Community, shows us how God's people united in the church are the solution to a divided
1: world. In John 17, Jesus prayed that we, his people, would be one just as he and the father are one. If we've learned anything from the year 2020, it's that we still have a long way to go before we see Jesus' prayer become a full reality in the American church. Whether it's factions within a church fighting over carpet colors, or people fighting over wearing masks or not wearing masks, or working out how to respond to issues of racism, we are far from united. In this episode, Irwin joins us to talk about the beautiful community of God's people and the reasons unity is such a struggle for so many of us. Learning to walk with others in unity, as Erwin describes, is a big part of what it takes to create a lifestyle of discipleship.
0: Erwin, welcome to the podcast.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Really excited to be talking with you today about your book, The Beautiful Community, Unity, Diversity, and the Church at its Best. I've really, really enjoyed uh, reading this book. It, it's it's very timely. We need to talk about these issues in the church and in our country more now than ever before. Um, but what led you to write this book? Where did this come from?
2: Yes, it was never my desire or dream as I I was pursuing ministry to write, a, to write a book, but my heartbeat really in the pastorate and uh, discipleship and engagement in the church was around the, the issue of reconciliation and unity and diversity. Um, and as I was doing my Doctor of Ministry studies, I did my dissertation on identity formation in diverse churches. And following that dissertation, that's when the bug kind of hit me to say, you know, I think there's something that uh, if the Lord enables me, I could contribute to this conversation uh, for the church. And and in the process of that thought pattern, I began to really do a little bit of a dive on the notion of beauty. And so, like the book is The Beautiful Community. i I wasn't in my dissertation work, I wasn't engaging and reflecting on beauty. That's something that came later, and that i that became even more of an encouragement to say, I think that this is something that we can um that we can engage in a healthy and helpful way uh in the body of Christ,
0: yeah, and I really enjoy that about the book i it, it surprised me. It probably shouldn't have surprised me, um, given given the title. But um, you know, like that is the biblical uh, theological theme that is drawn throughout it is that idea of beauty. And so I love the way that you set that up at the beginning. And then it it really does. It sets the context for everything that you talk about, Mm -hmm. um, that we're really aiming for as the, as a people of God, uh, you know, being created in in his image and, you know, through the fall and every, all the different, uh, eras. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so let, 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 Let's just jump into it, though. You're also talking a lot about community, the church, yeah. and what this looks like. Um, this might seem like a simple question, but let's—why uh, do we need a church? Where does the church come from? And uh, and maybe that'll set some of the context as we, uh, we play out then how to deal with some of these issues of diversity and unity and disunity and all of that.
2: Yes. Yeah well the, the church is certainly god's idea not uh, not ours it is it is an integral aspect of his commitment to his promise to renew the entire creation and so in the in the story of scripture when we have the fall of humanity into sin the recovery out of sin, the renewal out of sin, the uh, the coming back to intimacy with God and with one another has to be by God's promise and work, right? We no longer are capable of doing it ourselves in our own strength and, matter of fact, wouldn't want to do it apart from God and His Spirit taking that initiative. And so He promises, He promises reconciliation, He promises renewal, And so we see in the scriptures, particularly coming to fore in passages like uh, Colossians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, where the Apostle Paul says things like that, that in Christ, God was reconciling all things to himself, things in heaven, And things on earth. And then he says to the Colossians, and you who are once alienated and hostile in mind, he has reconciled together in his body, right? And so he's in the church, which the Apostle Paul will say in Timothy is a pillar and a buttress of the truth. So we need the church in this particular way. Let's just talk about um, as a testimony or a witness to the world that it is the evidence to the world in a very real sense that God is committed to his plan of salvation and redemption and renewal and reconciliation. The church is necessary, not just capital C, but in our congregations, in our local communities and, and places.
0: Yeah. In fact, you make you make that point, and I just I I just read it to Josh. Actually, <laughs> I
1: was just getting ready to reference that. Yeah,
0: <laughs> because uh, you say right, like one of the best witnesses that we can present to the world of Christ is not necessarily to do the miraculous miracles and all of that mm. stuff, but it's it's just simply to be yeah. the unified body of That's
2: Christ. Right.
0: That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, and so that is a. That is a beautiful thing. The mm-hmm. problem is, though, we don't seem to be doing that all that well. <laughs> so then the question, I think, has to be asked, how does this picture that Paul paints of this unified body, um, how have we missed the mark so terribly? Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. if we want, we can focus this then on the American church, because I believe yes. that's who you're writing
2: to sure. yeah. uh, primarily. primarily, yes. That's right. So and, where's and, the
0: American church gone so wrong with this? Yeah,
2: and, and let me, let me uh, jump into this question. I'm not trying to be a politician, like answering the question that I want to answer, not the <laughs> one you asked, but I, I, but I will come at it through this, that, that even Paul gets that from Jesus, right? So, mm-hmm. so that, that in particular places like John chapter 17, in Jesus's high priestly prayer, where he prays to the father, for the unity of his people, that we may be one, even as he is one. And he says, so that the world may know that you sent me. Mm -hmm. So Jesus says, this is the evidence to the world that I'm real, the unity of my people. And so, uh, and so one of the, this is one of the, I think there's a tragedy And then there's also the evidence of the power of God. Here's what I mean. I'm talking about in the context of the church in the United States. The tragedy is that that the church, in particular in the United States, the majority white church, refused to live out this reality in the scriptures. And it was it was. Not simply complicit passively, but by and large actively engaged in promoting the maintaining of uh, of disunity of of polarization along particularly along the li- uh, racial lines, creating the- theological reasons why. The races should be separated. Why the, the the white race, quote unquote, was superior to the the black race, right? Th- that that they there was an intentionality there, and we don't have time to go through all of the historic examples of how that manifested itself. Um, but there's a there's a there's also beauty here as well, because again we we cannot throw God off of his promise and plan. Mm-hmm. He was going to have a people for himself, yeah, mm-hmm. and so even the reality of a majority black church in the United States of America is a demonstration that God is always going to have a witness that his His spirit is always going to work and so and so there's been this these deep seated roots in the American context where where there was intentional segregation and separation of peoples in the church, right, much to our shame, and the thing is it is not something that that oh, it's just kind of went away after the Civil World War or after Reconstruction and, um, and Jim Crow and the civil rights. I mean, you can still find people, you know, into the 60s and 70s and beyond making a case. There were fewer voices trying to make this case, but still people making a case based on that those same theological fallacies of why the, the races should be separated, even in Jesus Christ. Um, and so that's, a, that's, a, right, that's, that's, that's an area of lament, confession, repentance as an aspect of moving forward into greater unity.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so let, I, I do, I really want to explore this. Um, we've talked about race on the podcast a couple of times before. Um, this is going to be, I think a little bit of a, a unique perspective though. So I'm really excited to, to dig in. Um, I would like to, uh, give a, a reference or resource. If people are curious, um, on the uh, to dive a little deeper into the historicity of how racism has yeah. played itself out in the church in America. Uh, Jamar Tisby has a right. great mm-hmm. um, series on Amazon prime that you can uh, call the color of compromise. He's also written a book. Right. Um, I haven't read it yet, but I've heard great things. Um, but the, the, the docu series is, is excellent to detail yeah. some of these things. Very hard to watch too. Yes, absolutely. Um, it, absolutely. It, it is. You're right. There's a lot of shame. There's a lot of, uh, um, you know, guilt associated around this topic. And, um, so, but you're right. God will see his church be, you know, the bride, no matter what we do. Um, I love the story. I always think of the story of, of Abraham, you know, it's really hard to come up with a guy that can, you know, try to stand in God's way more than what (laughs) Abraham did to subvert the promise and uh, and, and God will still have his way. Um, So the question has to be asked: If if so, we've got a majority white church over here, a majority black church over here, and and you know all the other races and ethnicities sort of uh, mm-hmm. mixed in here as well. But we can talk about with the two main categories right now: Is the goal to create a beautiful community to somehow combine these things mm. to become uh, multiracial communities? Uh, what is the goal that we are yeah. that we should be striving towards?
2: Great question, and and I I think that part of part of the challenge here is the answer to that question is really contextual That's what i mean it's con- it is locally discerned so there's a variety of ways of engaging this in my right in my own preference would be to see local congregations that um that that expressed this beautiful community unity and diversity within the same local church right reflecting not a forced diverse but reflecting what exists there in the community right mm-hmm. that that right um, but this if i am if i'm going to plant a church in a community there's a difference from me saying okay I, this is part of our DNA from the beginning, that we are going to um, to engage in this new local congregation. Strive to engage in such a way that w- that we will be welcoming others across in Jesus' name across all lines of difference, becoming a cross cultural community as a testimony to the reconciling power of the Spirit of God, right? and a different and a church that's decades old that has been majority white majority asian majority african-american saying okay let's just say the dynamics of our community and region have changed the demographics rather what does it look like for us to become more welcoming that's a different Mm -hmm. not pursuit but a different conversation and 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 so it may simply be, uh, in some cases, you find majority mono-ethnic or racial churches finding ways to do ministry and create community with other churches who are a majority of that, of a different ethnicity or race. Or culture and so so there's different approaches to this pursuit of beautiful community it might it might take you know who knows how long for the actual demographics within that existing church to change, and it might not ever change substantially. That's not actually up to the church leaders and pastors again to manufacture the bottom line is this none of us gets a pass on living into Jesus's command to love our neighbors as ourselves. And none of us gets to say, you're a neighbor and you're not a neighbor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that neighbor because they're like us. <laughs> right. And so you're the neighbors we want yeah. right? to, we don't yeah. get that. We don't get to make that kind of, tr- now we have, right. That's part of the problem. The best yep. we have, but So we have to discern how to live out this, this great commandment to love God with everything and love our neighbors as ourselves, and especially across these lines of difference. And what that looks like in practice, it will differ depending on the church, depending on the place. So there isn't this kind of cookie cutter, it has to look like this, it has to look like this for us to be faithful to Jesus Christ. So yeah. Yeah. you
1: know oh, you know for me that kind of brings up the the idea of preference uh when it comes to like styles and mm-hmm. just the things that you appreciate about maybe a certain culture so like i'm reminded of uh b- behind the scenes anecdotes about planet of the apes uh mm-hmm. when they were oh, yeah. shooting that movie and the chimps hung out with the chimps the gorillas hung out with the gorillas <laughs> the orangutans hung out with the orangutans and it was just like attracted like, and they formed groups around that. And so like if we have stylistic differences, uh, like for mm-hmm. example, e- even in a um, a majority white church, no. you can have a, an older generation of, yes. who, who wants a certain style of yep. worship and music and uh, teaching, preaching, things like that. And you can have a younger generation that prefers something different. And those groups tend to kind of gravitate toward each other. Right. That's right. How does a a preference like that come into play when we're talking about our identity as a body? Mm -hmm. And do we have to sacrifice those preferences?
2: Mm -hmm. Great question. So let me give you the the easy answer to that last part of your question is yes. So in the sense, this the church doesn't exist primarily for my comfort and preferences to have my preferences. Like it doesn't, that's not the primary purpose that I'm comfortable (laughs) with. Right. And so, and so if there is no engagement or the Lord is not helping us, we're not seeking to continue to find ways in which he might be calling us to die to certain preferences for the sake of our kingdom missional engagement of neighbor love then something is off now again that doesn't mean everything is up for grabs quote unquote stylistically but i but i think that part of the part of the work part of the self-examination work for me as a christian for us as a, as, a, as a church, as a body, as a congregation and church leaders, is to, I talk about this in the book, to probe our preferences, to see, to understand that, yes, we want to be faithful to the Lord in the way that we, quote-unquote, do church and live out the implications of the Christian life. We want to be faithful. But in that faithfulness, we're making choices, right? And those choices are very often... Based on things that we prefer, the way that we prefer to do things, right? Um, Culturally, let's just say, for example. And what I want to say is, that's all well and good. There's actually no way to not do that because we we there's no non-cultural way of being. Mm -hmm. The challenge is when we when we baptize. Our preferences as the gospel way, as the as the best way, as the 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 really good way. If you're going to do church, is to do it like this. And a refusal to say to ask ourselves these kinds of questions. Well, why do we do the things that we do the way that we do them? What are the choices that we're making here? And as we do that work of self-examination, it doesn't necessarily mean we're going to do away with all of those decisions, but we should be able to identify them and say, are there some things that we might hold a little more loosely if if we know that these are some things that actually are hindrances to other people finding a sense of welcome and belonging? Again, I'm not talking about Fidelity to the word of God.
3: Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's not what I'm talking about.
2: <laughs> right. But I am talking about the way we engage and do church and the Christian life together mm-hmm. as his people. And so uh, and so that that is a that is a that's kind of an ongoing, I think, need because we just get so set in our ways and there, this is not to say that affinity doesn't matter, right? Uh, it does matter, right? but I I need to be able to identify and say, oh, this is why I'm making this choice. This is why we're making this choice, and to be able to answer the question, well, who who might be excluded by that,
3: mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. Whether
2: intentionally or unintentionally, most likely, but who might these days, <laughs> who might yeah. be excluded by that? And what does, what do we do with
3: that?
0: Yeah. But see, that that's a great, that's a great question. And it is one. So I had a, I had a uh, intercultural studies class mm-hmm. in my undergrad Bible college and our teacher, I, I, I used to characterize it. I think like every day for the first like three months, which was the whole course, like I, I, I swear he got up there and just said, what is your culture? What is your culture? He just constantly, and I, I'm not gonna lie, By about three weeks in, I was really sick of that class. I'm like, I'm tired of hearing this guy just ask the same question over and over again. But by the end of it, it really did start clicking. And as we did more exercises that did allow us to look in and, and look at our culture. But I think you've just so well articulated that same idea of, of asking, what is it the things that I do normally that, and how do those things affect everyone else? Yeah. I, I used to say it, and you could feel free to push back on this if you think it's incorrect. I used to say something like, like when you get saved or when you come to Christ, everything about you has to, has to change in that you have to evaluate why you do the things that you do now what you do may not change mm-hmm. but the reasons why you do them do. Yeah, that's right. And so like I yeah, think what you're saying right. is as a community as right. you're coming together and you're striving to work out your salvation together we say we we put these things on the table to evaluate them to say well how is that going to affect those like mm-hmm. if we do this kind of an outreach are we ostracizing this group of people in our church or this mm-hmm. group of people uh right. in our community right. um uh, right. so like if you are a majority white church That has, uh, you know, and then as the demographics of the area change and you basically have a bunch of white people coming from the suburbs Mm -hmm. still into the church and we're neglecting, this is the church I grew up in, neglecting the uh, neighborhood around them. Um, Maybe we need to look at that to say we're missing an opportunity here. We're missing what God is, who God is drawing us to right around
2: us. That's right. That's exactly okay. right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so so, so yeah. I would say it this way. I like to I characterize it like everything comes under the lordship of Jesus Christ. When I come to faith in him, he becomes my Lord. And he's the one who's controlling the shots here. Mm-hmm. Right. And so this is true for the church as well and what are what are the things that Jesus begins to prioritize for his pe- for his kingdom people i mean this is it's no it's no small thing that Jesus answers the question about the greatest commandment with you know love the lord your god Deuteronomy 6 you shall love the lord your god with all your heart soul Right, uh mind and strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, On these two rest all the law and the prophets, right? Yep. On this less everything. So that becomes the the priority in terms of this love. And then notice it's right, it's centered on love, right? Loving yeah, God with yeah. everything and loving neighbor. Right. And so mm-hmm. that becomes the the motive for which that that we engage these kinds of questions right under his lordship yeah so
0: that's good that's great Uh, on the other side of that how do we avoid um tokenizing the other as well though where we're trying to just reach out because uh there like you and you you open the book with a great story that that really mm-hmm. demonstrates this and and you even point out and that's the question that I have written down is that we even tokenize God yeah
3: mm-hmm. yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> so maybe so maybe I have to like w- yeah. yeah what is tokenizing God, and then how how do we avoid tokenizing the other mm-hmm. um so that we're really mm-hmm. engaging in authentic relationships
2: mm-hmm. but, you know i mean the the, one of the messages i try to get across in the book and that's why i really do i really am drawn to this notion of beauty because you can't quantify beauty you have beauty you have to embrace mystery and transcendence right i can describe beauty like I, I try to give some facets of beauty but there isn't a measure like we we try to have you know beauty pageants and contests where we're we're giving scores to people as they parade across the stage, but that's really about aesthetics and it's something that's not at root about beauty. And one of the blessings in this reality is that beauty is not simply about utility. So when you think about tokenism, it's not simply that it's useful for a, a goal or a stated end, right? And so tokenizing God is is that is that idea of well he's useful to me for my own goals you know to what i yeah. what i what i want what we want to get and who we want to be god i need this mm-hmm. <laughs> or i need you to do this for me and we certainly ask those kinds of prayers right yep. but that's not it and we're invited to 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 knock to ask to seek right we're invited mm-hmm. but not but right this is what james says right here's where's your problem right you ask wrongly <laughs> that's why you don't yeah. receive right because you our motives are wrong you're at the center you ask yeah. for your own deed your own evil motives right that's tokenizing god mm. um beauty is not about utility right things are more beautiful than they need to be right so so we see it in the creation account every day the Lord, you know, saw that he what he had made and so that it was good. That, that, um, that word, right. Also conveys delight and pleasure, right? The, this God is actually delighting in the creation, not simply because the flowers are useful to com- create, po- to produce pollen. And so for us, not tokenizing one another is to say, Oh, I, no, this is not simply about some diversity goal that I have for the staff at our church or for our congregations that we hit a certain percentage. Right? That's why we, we want you here, because, we try, because the goal is diversity. No, the goal is not diversity. The goal is the glory of God. The goal, right, and the, the means to that is neighbor love in Jesus' name across all these lines of of difference. And so as this beautiful create community becomes his his creation. Right. And so so we don't we we have that's why examining ourselves and our motives constantly has to be a or continually has to be a part of this because we can drift into a kind of utility. Yeah. And a tokenizer say, oh look, 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 you know, our percentage is now, you know, Eighteen percent you know and we and it's okay, praise the Lord, but we can say, focus there and say, this is our goal, our goal c- can't be just a percentage mm-hmm.
1: um anyway, that's good. Can I ask a side question that we may cut <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so so I'm an ordained a g minister. Mm-hmm. And in our presbytery, uh, our we we've modified our constitution and bylaws over the last ten years to include a slot for an under forty minister, a female minister, um, an African American. Uh, we've got other ethnic groups represented, and. We've created those positions just so that we can have that representation in our presbyteries at the, uh, the various levels. Um, are we are we tokenizing there? Uh,
2: <laughs> it's a great question. That's a good question. <laughs> it's a great question, and my answer is not necessarily because. I, so I'm not saying you, because we we do need to be thoughtful. And saying, what does this look like if the Lord is going to bless us to, to grow into beautiful community? What would it look like? We would have this different, diverse representation. The, 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 the necessary part of the conversation then has to also be the why. Why, why are we doing this? Or why do we desire this? And then how are we prepared or preparing for what the experience, if the Lord does bless us in this way, what the experience of these diverse people will be among us? So, Mm -hmm. for example, I will be asked regularly in my own denomination, uh, saying, hey, you, you know, we're... We want to hire a person of color, African-American, other on staff. We really want to grow in this diversity, uh, and, and we want to, uh, and so, and, you know, our staff may be majority or even all white. And I'll ask the kinds of questions that say, okay, now, what conversations are you all having about what the experience of that person will be when they come on staff, right? as the only person uh, of that ethnicity how are you how are you talking and engaging the, the 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 likelihood that there's going to be some trauma related to that even though the person will want to be on staff there how are you engaging the question that there's um going to be likely felt some sense of pressure or burden that this individual brings on him or herself to be the representative of this group to which (laughs) he or she belongs racially, ethnically, gender wise, right? Um, And how do you facilitate plan to facilitate a real sense of welcome and belonging, a a pressing against the temptation to say, we're done now. We hired you <laughs> mm. now mm-hmm. go bring all the other people like you. <laughs> right. We would never say that,
3: yeah, yeah. but
2: the, but there's a, there's, we need to avoid and be aware that we might drift into that kind of mindset. Yeah. So the answer to to your question is it's not necessarily that you're tokenizing by setting these, uh, desires down on paper to say, or in, to codify them. We want to be hiring for this kind of diversity. We want this because we want to see the Lord help us grow into a better reflection of the kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. That's good. Now let's keep going to say, okay, who are we? What's our culture here? What is the, what is the experience of the person who's not like the majority going to be here? Right, so yeah. there's there's more questions to engage and ask to help uh push against tokenizing,
3: so, yeah, and
1: I think the heart that I've seen behind at least from all the council meetings that I've been a part of, it's really that we value the culture, the ethnicity of uh some of the minorities that that make up our our general council. Mm. And so we want to hear their voices, and so we're intentionally making space for them to be heard. Uh, and I think that's that's really yeah. what's motivating why we're yeah. We're and,
0: and you those pointed decisions. out at one point in the book too, where you say like in the American church. This I'm going to chew on this one for for a while now. Um, this has hit me um, from from a bunch of different angles, but that the majority white church is going to have to um give up their preferential
2: mm-hmm.
0: oh i forget how you said it, but, but basically <laughs> their preference yeah. in order to accommodate the minority mm-hmm. and i think maybe what you're saying like if this is a priority to allow for more uh diversity from or the minorities within our fellowship to be heard that that might be an area where like if again if, if it's majority white like it is in our fellowship that you have to say you know uh, I'm going to step aside from maybe being a potential on this presbytery mm-hmm. board or whatever, mm-hmm. so that uh, a brother or sister of mine can be heard instead. Right. Um, yeah. You know, keeping yeah. in mind, mo- like you know, all all other credentials are the same. Right. It's just they're they're going to lend a unique voice that right. we need that we don't that's, have yet.
2: Right. That's right. Uh, yes. That's right. And I, I think I I say something to effect that that it might not be difficult to hear. Yeah. But that the that that the majority of this burden, right, um, to kind of die to preference, is rests with the majority white culture, right? yeah, yeah. Um, and so, and that's that is because, in part, a couple of things, just historically, and even up to the present, there has not. There has not really been a need for majority the majority white church to engage and embrace uh, and learn from come under the influence of non white christians or non white churches right mm-hmm. um And, and I, I think I say this in the book too, similarly I'm I'm quoting from somebody else in that part where I says, you know, the challenge is, you know, that there is an experience, an an inherent experience of entitlement to be heard, to engage and to speak with agency. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there's a the challenge to now come under the influence of others who are not yeah. from the majority, right? I, I give, I'll give you a practical example. I have a friend here in D.C. Who, who's a good friend uh, who pastors a historic uh, African-American church here in the city. Churches of fixtures, almost 120 years old. Here in DC. Wow. And um and he's in his eleventh or twelfth year now as the pastor. And just for reference, he's the fifth pastor of the church, right? So they well, stay a long time. <laughs> right. But um in the recasting of the church's vision and values, he's included intentional reconciliation, right? Right, and this is a majority black, is a thriving, urban black church, right? And we'll have conversations, and, and he'll say, I yeah, I, I, talk to my white, pastor friends and brother. We're in these conversations, and it just takes me a while. To just, are they really, serious? And I part of, it's part of it is I'm I wait to see. Um, are this are they willing? To come to the table and not have to be the primary voice at the table, and and have more of a listening and learning posture, right? Um, that, or as is usually the case, kind of taking over and lead and leading the thing. So there's a there's a a, a cautiousness that you find, particularly among you know, and generally speaking, the African American church context right this is hmm, I, I don't know right can we trust that this is really going to be not simply equitable but one in which there's real agency and there's a real willingness to learn and we're not looked at as you know um are they a suspect a little theologically or right because they don't read the same theologians we read and that, that kind of thing you
0: know so you know that's one of the things i love most about your a. Uh, uh, you know, your perspective and your approach here that you're, you're helping us understand is that it's always, I, I think we as white people, let me speak on behalf of all white people here. For <laughs> <a second>. um,
3: <laughs> we take
0: this stuff so for granted. And that's part of the point, right? Is that we just don't realize that it that we're in it. We're the fish swimming around in the water. We don't realize the water is there. Um, You know, I I didn't grow up with a racial identity. I've never given, like, until very recently, uh, or at least in adulthood, you know, gave any mind to my whiteness as as contributing. But I love these questions that you are that you've given us. Right? That we're. It's not just simply about trying to hit a diversity number, but it's really about asking those deeper questions of how, how is my neighbor, my brother or my sister going to be affected by this decision? You right. know, and, and it's not just that it's not just that surface. And so it's even right. like, even in these conversations where we as leaders might get to come to the table um, again, I would have never even thought something I, you know, I, me and my ignorance, I, I could imagine mm. coming to the table and doing the same thing. And, uh, I, I like to talk sometimes and, you know, yeah. we, we run a podcast
1: <laughs> and so and just, uh,
0: either maybe dominate the conversation with, uh, with questions or say, well well, 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 the way I see it is, and you know, and, and, and so that is, we need to, to adopt this posture of, uh, and again, I even hesitate because I'm still I really do want to figure out how to work this out. And I will be chewing on this for a long mm-hmm. time of like, yeah. what does that look like to really, um, you know, uh, put myself in a position under mm-hmm. uh, a brother or sister of color to really learn from them? Yeah. David Swanson, we had on the podcast, okay. who, who talks about mm-hmm. this a lot. You know, he said the same thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Is like how many white people have ever been served communion by a person of color mm-hmm. and, and like just to understand what that experience of, yeah. of, uh, you know, putting yourself in that position is, is, right. is like it, it, teaches you something differently. And right. so, um, but, but I, I have a feeling though, that there's a whole lot there that we can definitely explore. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, you know, this rabbit trail definitely goes, uh, uh, deeper. Yeah. And, uh, so, well,
2: anyway, I, can, can I say this And because it's important. That's, this is this is really an important thing to remember in this that there's no way to engage this pursuit without messing up without making mistakes without without stumbling without realizing oh i shouldn't have done it that way (laughs) i should there's (laughs) no way we're so there isn't there isn't a way to engage this into this into this mess Without knowing, I there are going to be points at times that yeah I I do this wrong I say this I say say it wrong but I am I open to growth and correction, right? So this is important. It's important. That's why you know we have in the body of Christ we have the Spirit of the Living God, right? (laughs) And so. Because we have him, we can move forward without this fear, knowing that he gives us up the graces of confession and repentance and forgiveness, right, as we as we continue walking together. Right? And so, and so this is this is as hard as it is as we can go down rabbit trails and we can we can dive deeper into the challenges and what. That can also bring with it a corresponding fear or reticence or like, oh, I got to like, hold it, hold it, hold it. When do I take the first step? And to say, yes, we want to be circumspect, but we can't be perfect at this, mm. right? We have to, tr- we're entrusting ourselves to the Lord. And, uh, and a part of this is saying, Lord, show us whenever <laughs> we stumbled and messed up, and, and offended our brothers or sister, maybe we the, be we, may we be the first to confess and repent, and seek that reconciliation. Yeah,
1: amen. Well, for me, that goes back to what we were saying earlier, where the, we were talking about what Jesus said is the first and second commandments. We look so often for very uh, black and white rules that we can follow things that yes. we can do in this order, this order, this order. Yes. And we're looking for another law
2: <laughs> right? <laughs> when really it's
1: the principle behind the law and then grace takes care of the rest. Yes. And so if, if we walk this thing out in love and humility and grace, right. uh, we don't yes. necessarily have to worry about getting every little jot and tittle right as we go through this process. Yes, that's right. And, uh, yeah. I love the way you said that. That's, that's great. Right.
0: And I'm I'm reminded again like and you point this out in your book we will be able to do that if our identity is firmly yes. grounded in yeah. the person of Christ right. if we that's can right. recognize that we are this is a brother and sister in Christ sitting across the table that's right. we need grace that's right. <laughs> you know that's right. we need to
2: give grace that's right. and that's right.
0: uh, we can do this together that's right
2: that's right, that's right. because my, my identity is in him so it's not the right. It's not the washing away of my ethnic identity, right? Um, but it is the centering of my identity in Jesus Christ, and we get to sell and celebrating even, right? Not just that mm-hmm. identity, but the but our diversity, because He made me, you know, He this ethnicity on purpose. Like it wasn't it wasn't an accident,
3: right? Yeah, and yeah. so.
2: Yeah. And so we want to be at a at a place where we're able to to rejoice in the creative genius of God, as this mm-hmm. beautiful community, this unity and diversity, all right, with Christ as the as the head, <laughs> the center, the cornerstone, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Amen.
0: Amen. Uh Irwin, where can people go to get a copy of the book and uh follow your work?
2: Sure. Yes. Well, the book you can find uh Varsity Press is the pl- publisher, so ivpress.com. You can certainly find it also on Amazon and other um book retailers, Barnes and Noble and the, and the like um online. Uh I have my own website if you want to engage with me erwinintz.com, uh, so that's Erwin with an I and a Y, erwinintz.com, <laughs> and the work that we do, I'm the executive director of the Grace DC uh, Institute for Cross-Cultural Mission, where we seek to assist assist churches with this competence and confidence to welcome others the way Jesus welcomes us, and that's at uh, gracedc.institute, uh, where you can find out more about our about
0: our work, and uh, as always, we will have links to everything down in the show notes, so you guys don't have to remember that. You can go down there and click on that and uh, get connected with what Erwin is doing. Thank you so much for being with us, for for teaching us, for helping us walk Ooh. through these these issues. This has been. Uh, an incredible conversation, uh, one that I will be chewing on uh, for weeks and months to come for sure. So thank you.
2: Well, I'm I'm glad for the invitation. It's been fun. The time goes so fast. It does, <laughs> <It> does. <laughs> but I enjoy being with you, brothers.
0: How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Most Christians think discipleship is a program or a few practices thrown in at the beginning or end of the day. But we want to help you create a lifestyle
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship podcast. To find out more about Irwin's work, check out irwinints.com If you like what you've heard this week, be sure to give us a review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast player you use. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.